HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working and event space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and 3, our weekly food news roundup. Last month, Hurricane Florence walloped parts of North Carolina. According to the Weather Channel, it was the wettest tropical storm to ever hit the Tar Heel State. So how did the restaurant industry respond? Some helped FEMA weather the storm, while others got to work feeding people on the ground. We just walked in and said, we know how to cook. What can we do? They said, I need you guys to just cook 150 pork loins. And we were just like, uh, okay. (laughs) Now the attention needs to be on Florence's long-term effect on North Carolina's farming community. The general mood of farmers is one of certainly resilience and almost feels like it's the normal course of business to just get hit by a gigantic hurricane and need to just keep on going. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Daniel Jonas. Uh, Daniel, I just treated to some pizza from Roberta's, and he dropped it on his pants, but that's okay. That won't screw the show up. Um, we'll talk to Daniel today about wine, of course, champagne, La Fête du Champagne, Pressoir wine, and more. We'll taste the Gamay from, and help me here, Daniel, the Coteau de Lyonnaise. Lyonnais. For our weekly wine sip, Daniel was gracious enough to bring that in. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Daniel Jonas is the multi award winning wine impresario. I like to call him an impresario, and you'll see why. 
sommelier, creator of La Fête du Champagne, Pressoir Wine, and La Palais, among other things. He's the corporate wine director for Daniel Balud's Dynex Restaurant Group. He's a wine importer, and he's been an entrepreneur for many years. Our friend Jay McInerney dubbed Daniel Jonas the Dean of American Sommeliers, mentoring a generation of wine people. And one thing that you will find out is Daniel is a true Francophile, for sure, and a Burgundian lover beyond. Yeah, I'm going to be correcting your French quite a bit. I yeah, think. I suck your at accent's this. And you'll explain off. why you know so much French. All right. Welcome back to the Great Nation, Daniel. Thank you. Um, I asked you to come back on because you have a lot of very cool things going on, and I wanted to discuss those things with you. But before that, while I have you tied to your chair... I want to tap into you for some uh, wine, intel, and info. All right? You're okay with that? I'm all set. All right. So, Beaujolais seems to be blowing up. I don't know if that's me. Let's call it Beaujolais. Beaujolais. Okay. So, there's correction. Let's start there. There's correction number one. Beaujolais. um, (laughs) And and tell me if I'm imagining this. It, It just... I, I know it's always been great, and there's been great producers and all of that, but it just seems to be, you know, happening right now. Is is that fair to say? Well, it's fair to say. I mean, it's been happening for me for quite a fu- quite a few years. I love Beaujolais. We drink a lot at the at the house, and uh, you know, it's a wine of pleasure. You can just pull the cork, enjoy it. It's uh, it's light. It's aromatic. It's got texture. It's absolutely delicious, and it has history. And it's also one of the most beautiful regions you can visit in France. So, so give me, it's give got a lot going for it. Uh, the image has been tainted a little bit over the years because of Beaujolais Nouveau. We all know about that. But uh, there's a young generation of winemakers in Beaujolais now uh, that have learned from the parents, who have learned from the, the godfathers of Beaujolais who made serious wine. In fact, when I say serious wine, I happen to have a few bottles of Moulin Vent, one of the crew Beaujolais, from a specific vineyard, 1929. Wow. They came out of a cellar, and it's still good today. So it could be age-worthy wine, delicious wine, serious wine. So So. give people just a little history. Beaujolais is considered part of Burgundy? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's Tell me that and get into the grape. If you talk about uh, Burgundy with Beaujolais producers, they do consider themselves sort of administratively part of Burgundy, but it's different. It's the Gamay grape, so it's different. In Burgundy, of course, for the red wines, right. it's Pinot Noir. So in Beaujolais, the vinification is different with carbonic maceration or semi-carbonic maceration. Explain what that is. Well, carbonic maceration is inter- intercellular fermentation that starts with the berries are not crushed. The fermentation starts before any, any juice is released. Um, How do you do that? Uh, you, they they put it in a tank with the whole bunches of grapes. They cover whole it berry. and protect it right. until it warms up to a point where it starts the fermentation, and then it breaks open and starts to ferment. But but there are versus different, crushing. Yeah, and there are different methods of fermentation right. in Beaujolais today. Also, more traditional Burgundian methods, but Beaujolais. Uh, today is really exciting because you have these young winemakers who are not just uh, making really good wine, but they're also focusing on the terroir, the land. And there's a real movement today in all wine regions of the world on protecting their heritage, and that is protecting the vineyards, reducing or chemicals, reducing, reducing treatments, and 
and, and practicing uh, organic or biodynamic viticulture. Now, it's very, very traditional in Beaujolais, and this is really a recent phenomenon. And in Burgundy, to some extent, too. Well, Burgundy's ahead of Beaujolais in that respect. A lot they of are. people so are. So Beaujolais is coming up to that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the Gamay grape is, th- they always said that Pinot Noir and Burgundy, the grapes are very finicky. Is Gamay easier to work with or not necessarily? or uh, Not necessarily, but I think that um, Beauj- Gamay. A well-made Gamay is a is a grape that has a smile on its face from the moment it's picked. Okay, <laughs> so it's a very happy and grape. Bur- and Pinot Noir keeps you guessing for a while. Okay, all right, and it sometimes reveals itself, sometimes doesn't, sometimes goes through a lot of changes. And I think the Gamay is a little bit more direct. So the so, fun, easy choice is Gamay. Well, I mean, I, it's very I just, enjoyable, and it's also a lot it. less. And, and you know, you have to think also. Okay, it's a different grape variety from Burgundy. It's not Pinot Noir, it's Gamay. But if you're looking for the kind of wine that is uh, more accessible, like Pinot Noir can often be, Burgundy, um, it's a great alternative. Although prices are creeping up all over, uh, Gamay, uh, uh, Beaujolais is still a great, great value. Now, are prices creeping up to my original point that it's sort of a thing now or it's as popular now as it's ever been? Does that push pricing up in restaurants and wine stores? Well, I mean, popularity pushes prices up because of supply and demand. Right. Um, but um, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's still terrific value in Beaujolais. There and, is. and, you know, think about Beaujolais is straight Beaujolais, Beaujolais Village, and then you have the crew Beaujolais. How many it, crews are there? Nine? Ten. 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 And uh, there is an interesting movement in Beaujolais right now near Renier in a commune called Lantignier. Now, Renier is R-E-G-N-I-E. With an accent on Renier. the last E there. Okay. And uh, there's, there's a little village, Lantignier. There's a group of young growers who are um, getting together and saying we, they want to create sort of a, 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 a pact that we want to call this Beaujolais Village Lantignier. And anybody who has that appellation on the label will have to adhere to organic practices and certain methods, limited yields. Uh, it hasn't been approved yet, but I expect that to surface in the next two to three years. So two things. One, spell it so that people... Lantignier? Yeah. L-A-N-T-I-G-N-I-E. Nobody would have gotten that. No. All right, so that's Lantignier, and they're... In the process of getting their own designation, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of giving away a little inside information That's here. Very Nothing's cool. really happened yet, but uh, you'll see it soon. Now we talked earlier about putting you on the spot, but can you give me a couple of faves or some recommendations for good, accessible, yeah, makers and all that? It's 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 really pretty easy. Go uh, ahead. <laughs> You know, because I drink a lot of it. But there, there are some of the standard classics that go back for a gener- couple of generations, such as uh, Foyard, Marcel Foyard, uh, Marcel Lapierre, Jean Foyard. Uh, I mean, so those Foyard, are, Pierre, Marcel yeah, Lapierre. Yeah, yeah, Breton. Right. You know, I mean, these are part of the uh, the original ones that Kermit Lynch brought in. Right. Um, and then you have this new generation. You have their, their children now making wine also. But then you have uh, really interesting, there's... Uh, uh, David Chappelle and Michelle Smith, young couple. David Chappelle, the son of the great chef Alain Chappelle, who was in Mionnet, not very far from Beaujolais, had great relationships with uh, Marcel Lapierre. And uh, they established uh, an estate there, and they're going to be making Beaujolais Village, Julianas, 
um, Morgan, Renier, they're going to be really experimenting. Uh, so, you know, but besides them, you, you have Jean-Louis Dutrèvre, who's become one, one of the stars, and uh, he's gone back quite a ways. Those are all uh, good producers, and I'll post them on our social media. Yeah, and um, then you have, um, you know, some some a lot of there are a lot of women winemakers also now. Um, in Beaujolais? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Michelle Smith is is she's an American and married to David Smith. Right. And May May Godard. Right. M e e M e e G o d a r d. Right. Exactly. Right. And good stuff. Good stuff. There's okay. really a lot of action. Okay. So there's a lot of so. I believe it. That's why I brought up with Daniel. Daniel drinks it every night. Beaujolais is something <laughs> that's delicious, something you should be drinking, and there's a lot of variety and diversity. Um, so I'm glad we addressed that. Now I want to move to champagne, which is equally as hot and crazy. There's more champagne in restaurant wine lists than ever before. Yeah, it's great. Uh, there's more. There were always fans, but they seem to be talking about it. We'll talk about Le Fate in a few minutes, but Tell me, you're in and out of uh, France and Burgundy and Beaujolais a lot. Tell me about some good things going on in Champagne. I don't know exactly the question to ask, but what's good going on in Champagne? What's new? What changes? You know, I sort of look at Champagne as uh, an area. It's a historic area, one of the great wine regions of France. Um, Terrific big houses and great brands. Um, there's been a movement over the last 10, 15 years of uh, grower champagne. You see a lot of that now. Tell people and what, what a grower champagne. What that means is the, uh, the growers, the, the grape growers, instead of selling the grapes off to the negociant houses, the big houses such as Moët et Chandon, for example, keep the grapes, produce it themselves, put their own name on it, just like they do in Burgundy. And so this was historically done in Burgundy also until they started estate bottling. So now we have a state, state bottling champagne that's been very popular, very effective. And it's also directed the conversation about champagne towards the land again. Just like in Bergen, you talk about the terroir and the Appalachians and the nuance and the different uh, expressions of, of terroir. So today, uh, whether it be a Blanc de Blanc, which is 100% Chardonnay oh, wine, uh, or a Blanc de Noir, red grapes, Pinot Meunier, Pinot Noir, um, it's the location they're grown that is impacting the, the profile of the wine. So it's really fascinating to be there and also to listen to the producers, almost like the, the enthusiasm and the spirit and the discovery that you found in Burgundy 15 years ago. Right. So it's really exciting place to be now, really exciting wine to discover. And there's so many different champagnes in the market that you can choose from. So a producer who's growing Pinot Meunier because he's in an area that's best for that, yeah. is he's a grower and he's making predominantly you yeah. know, Meunier-based stuff. There's yeah. more of that going on. Well, you got that and you know you can still blend in champagne. Right. So you have a lot sure. of the blends of Pinot Meunier, Pinot Noir, and Chardonnay or, or those focusing on just one of the grape varieties. Now, were a lot of these... A lot of these guys were growing and providing the grapes for the big houses and switched over to bottling their own stuff. Have a lot of guys popped up or go into business 
take over land to produce grower champagne? I mean, what what was the metamorphosis there? Um, yeah, well, to give you an example, there's a grower that I work with. His name is Guillaume Sergent. Small production. He's got... Spell his last name. It's like Sergeant. Okay, you know, like Sergeant. A, right. And he's got... Uh, his family had had vineyards, and they would produce the grapes and sell them off to Negociant. He inherited one and a half hectares of the vine, of the vines. Now he has three hectares. He's bottling himself. He's producing biodynamically. So this is an example of a new generation saying, "Hey, I want to, you know, I see what my neighbors are doing. I see what my friends are doing. I see what the young generation is doing. I want to do and that." And even expanded a little, picked up a little extra property. Well, yeah, and it's you know, champagne requires long aging, so it's not either. the cash flow is slow in champagne. It's an expensive production. And it's remarkable what value it provides because champagne really is still not that expensive. You no. can get a great bottle for $40, $50. You Let's, may say that's money, but that's still something that's aged for 18, 24 well, months or longer. Do, before. Don't look at it as a celebratory thing, which a lot of people do with champagne. Look at it as a bottle of wine yeah. that pairs well. Champagne pairs well with a lot of stuff. $40, $50 bucks rivals any... You know, French American. Well, Italian. you know, as they say, with uh, Burgundy, Pinot Noir uh, goes with anything. Champagne goes with anything. You know, it's just a, it's very uh, versatile, and you do see it on a lot of tables by the glass. And it's unfortunate when people say, "Well, let's celebrate and have a bottle." Right. Sure, sure, celebrate with a bottle of champagne, but that's not what it's only for. Right. Yeah. So you you said forty fifty dollar range. Tell me some producers <laughs> worth looking out for. Well, you know, a lot of the producers produce uh, different cuvées, different blends and bottlings. And most of them do have an entry level, whether it be some of the right. big houses, such as Roterer or Boulanger, et cetera, or some of the grower champagnes, such as Fred Savard or, uh, or uh, Raphael Beresh. Right. You know, these are some well-known pr- producers who they produce have an entry, an entry level. level champagne that is produced with the same care. The same treatment in the vineyard, and uh, you know it's not going to be the same intensity and uh, depth of flavor that you're going to find in a longer aged champagne before it's bottled in one of their special cuvées. But it's coming from a great producer, exactly. a great winemaker, and the place in Tawara. You know, I always like terrific. to tell people that you have to not just look at the famous name like champagne as a general category. You have to look at wine as an artisanal product. It's made by craftsmen. And so if you're buying a car and you happen to like Mercedes, then that's, that's what you buy. Uh, if you like Louis Vuitton, if you like a certain brand of shoes. Or, but if you like a wine that you've tasted made by, let's just say, Fred Savart, then feel free to try more of his different wines because you might find a house style there that you like. Right. Always look at the name of the producer and then you have confidence there. You can have confidence on something more expensive or rare or, or basic even. As in Burgundy, when you have a producer like uh, Jean-Marc Rouleau in Merceau, one of the greatest white wine producers in the world, R-O-U-L-O-T, of course, his Merceau Perrier and his Merceau Luchet and some of his his, uh, vineyard-designated wines are great. But he's putting a lot of care into his Aligoté, Bourgogne Blanc, very simple appellations that are absolutely worth looking for. Yeah. So go back to Savard for a second. Size-wise, as a producer, small, medium, large? Uh, Small, medium. Small, medium. Yeah. He's a grower? He's a grower. Okay, so what you're saying is here's a guy 
great artisan craftsman, small to medium guy. He's showing six, eight, nine different bottlings. No, five, not that four, many. five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So to your point, try his entry level. You fall in love with it. You like the style. He's got a lot more to offer, and other I, guys have even more. Yeah, I think Fair? that's the case everywhere. When you're discovering something, whether it be in a restaurant or wine, or or in a retail store. And you're not familiar with, always try the entry level. Or right. take a leap of faith if you trust your merchant or your sommelier. Uh, I always encourage people to make friends with the sommelier because, right. you know. Those are the guys that are. You know, slip him a $100 bill. And, <laughs> right. You know, and then he'll give you everything. He's got but people, you know, I've had the best sommeliers in here and people tend to be intimidated. And that's sort of gone away. People realize these guys no more than anyone and they're bringing in by the glass or bottles that you'll never see anywhere else yeah. so trust your sommelier trust and also sommelier. a good wine store you know in the neighborhood or whatever i think it's important all right so that's champagne now well, we let have... me i just want to just ahead. add to champagne you know my interest in champagne grew out of well my basic interest in burgundy and the sort of mentality in burgundy of uh, of the grape variety and the place and the tradition and when i saw this movement in in champagne I took a great deal of interest in saying, hey, champagne's made with the same, same grape varieties you find in Burgundy. Mainly Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Of course, you have some others. But um, I, I went there and I was overwhelmed by how I was embraced. And I saw a similar spirit of gen- generosity in champagne. in champagne that I see in Burgundy. So, but frame that for me, because I've heard you say this before. I've heard you make a comparison to Burgundy and Bordeaux. <laughs> and the comparison is Burgundy is really vignerons. There are guys that you go and see, you know, a Rouleau, mm. you know, who's in the cellar and a walk out in the field. Where Bordeaux, there's this Aris, you know, yeah, aristocratic, well, you know, I, all I ha- of that. I have to be a little careful. I'm going to Bordeaux on Saturday for a week. and <laughs> yeah, They're not you. listening to that. I don't here. want anybody to say, hey, I heard but you. But there is a comparison between the vibe. I there's mean, a, the Bur- Burgundy, yeah. the connection, which I think is something you relish from the if beginning. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll see a recent photo that I took of the hands of a winemaker in Burgundy. They were stained red. Right. They That's just, the point. They just finished harvest. And they, you know who's working and who's not. And I'm sure that next week when I go to Bordeaux, I'm not going to see any stained hands. You'll see some nice suits probably <laughs> and all that, right? Some nice shoes. It's okay. And there'll be some great wine. Yeah. But it's a good point. And I, I think that's what's still charming about Burgundy, you know, is, is, you know, as much as going on there. So let's talk about Burgundy a little. I mean, you're truly, you know, I, I think Burgundy is your thing. Um but we know burgundies become expensive, highly allotted, hard to get. Um, so I don't want to talk about that. Okay. I want to talk to you. And we sort of covered it a little. I mean, Gamay touches that. But I want to talk to you about the great burgundy values that are accessible, that are overachievers, you know, reasonable in price, worth drinking now. And I think that comes down to certain regions and producers. I don't think there's anybody better to ask that question to than you. Well, I think Burgundy is extraordinary in that way that it can produce wines at such a wide range of flavor, intensity, and cost today. Uh, Just last week, there was a bottle of Romani Conti 1945 that sold for over a half a million dollars for one bottle. It's crazy. Okay. That kind of wine represents a fraction of 1% of the production of Burgundy. 
What Burgundy represents is a whole range below that of uh, other Grand Cru that are expensive as well, Premier Cru that are great and expensive, village-level wines, meaning uh, wine made in uh, a village such as Merceau or Gevry Chambertin or Moray Saint-Denis without the designation of a single vineyard. And then you have regional wines, such as Côte de Nuit Village. And these are grapes grown over several villages, an, 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 a coalition of villages, if you like, that can all be called Côte de Nuit Village. And there are some producers there today who are making outstanding wine. Uh, Tell me. Camille Thierrier, T-H-I-E-R-E-T, young woman, okay. just making her second, third, now will be her third vintage. Uh, DJ Fornerol has become a bit of a superstar <laughs> in the world of, uh, of uh, people who are looking for really uh, soulful burgundies uh, made in you know moderate, quantity, very small quantities. Actually. So is Fornerol making a $40, $50, $60? Oh, I think it's less. Really? I think it's probably okay. $30, $40. Okay. That's uh, great news. Yeah, great stuff. But... You know, and during La Polay, uh, we also we host an event uh, during the week called the Off Grid Tasting, and we bring together uh, the lesser known appellations of Burgundy, the Ose Durest, the Saint Romain, uh, the wines from the Maconnais, from Macon, uh, wines from the Chalonnais, Rui, Montagny, Givry, etc., Mercury. Good stuff. Bouzeron. Excellent. Excellent. Again, it comes down to the craftsman, the producer. Right. And we're selecting producers who make great wine at higher appellations, but also these entry-level, lesser-known wines. For example, Pernon Vergeles. It's a very difficult name to, 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 you know, most consumers are intimidated by it, Pernon Vergeles. But it's one of those appellations that's what I call off the beaten path uh, and makes really good wine. It's right next to Allos Corton. Right. And Corton, of course, is very well known. Right. So there is definitely as many opportunities to drink good uh, Burgundy now. Oh, you can drink great Burgundy from $20 and, you know, up to, well, up to $500,000. Right. <laughs> um, what about any other, <laughs> I don't know if I can ask you this, are there any other regions outside of what we discussed that are exciting you? Oh. The, the funny thing to me is I get the Burgundy-Bordeaux comparison, Yeah. Well, but Italy, there's a lot of guys with Grape juice dried on their hands. Yeah, I love you, Italy. Tell me, love is Italy. there any other places or wines that are exciting well, you? you know, people know me for Burgundy because of my history there at Montrachet Restaurant and La Polay, etc. Right. But when I first went to France in 1974, I went to Provence in the Southern Rhone, not too far from Chateauneuf-de-Pape. And that's where I started to learn about wine and winemaking and vineyards and so on. And my first tastes of wine were really Côte d'Iron Village. Gigondas and Chateauneuf-de-Pape and, and so on. So the Rhone has been a very important place for me, uh, not just the south, but also the north. Uh, we're going to be doing an event on Northern Rhone, not Northern Rhone, but the entire Rhone right. uh, next February called La Table. And La Table is named after the, uh, the uh, festival that they do in Cote Rôtie. Right. Uh, that's modeled after La Polay. Right. So it's an extension of that. But the Rhone is an area where you can get extraordinary value in the south, all over. The south and, more than the north? Well, I think so. Right now, yeah. Right now you can, yeah. because you have such a big region. I agree with and you. And Grenache is widely printed, Côte de Rhone, basic appellation. But in the north also, with uh, Vin de Pays, the Colline Rodanienne. Repeat that after me, please. I can. 
It's a tough one. Yeah. No, there's I, a lot of... I can't. So the Cote de Rhone is a, another favorite. And we'll talk about La Table uh, in a little bit. All right. Before we move on to other things, a lot of the events that you're doing, I just want to ask you a couple of quick questions. You've been on the wine scene. I don't want to age you because right. you're in good shape. You're a cyclist. <laughs> you're fit. Um, you've been on the wine scene for over 35 years. Is it 35? Wow. Easily. Oh, yeah. Early 80s. You've been counting, your, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to use a calculator. Um, the biggest obvious changes to you. I know the market's gotten competitive, more psalms, but what, what, you know, without spending the rest of the show on it, what pops into your head about, you know, the changes that you've seen and experienced? Well, I think one of the biggest changes has been uh, the, 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 the price of wine, and that really does age me because I don't want to be the person who says, well, I remember when I used to buy Chateau Patriots for $20 a bottle. But, you know, what What it has done is change. You did a Montrachet. You bought Burgundy for 20 bucks. Oh, I mean, I don't even want to make people right. jealous listening. I mean, we would have, like, Rumier by the glass. and you know. <laughs> so, so that's a change. So, so that's a big change. Your but, first thing was price. But, but it's, it's, it's not just the price. That makes sense because the demand worldwide is much greater now. But it's the mentality that's changed because of the price. Rather, Explain. Rather than drinking a great bottle of Bud Mar or Musigny from Rumier fairly easily, um, it becomes a, much more of a thought process and much more of a uh, much more of a, a, a struggle for a lot of people. First of all, to attain these wines, and then there are expectations when you spend that much money on something expectation you spend that much money on a car you expect it to go fast right so you expect that much money on a bottle of wine then i think it alters the expectation and the experience of just drinking and enjoying the wine so there's a lot of pressure yeah you know on all that yeah, and, and not, not, not it's a that it's a major thing but, but, but throw in counterfeiting the last well, five yeah. eight years i don't want to get into that but yeah. but but the other thing that's really changed that's remarkable is the level of knowledge of the consumer today uh, in relation to what it was 30, 35 years ago. And back then, people were still drinking cocktails. They were ordering Chablis, meaning I'll have a glass of any white wine you have. Uh, but people are very sophisticated today. And they're willing to try wines from all over the world. So it's really a dynamic. It's a golden age. Does social media play into that? Is yeah. there more discovery? You could follow a psalm. Totally. Is that in it definitely why that's people great. are more informed? I think, in well, that I think that's part of it. Social media is very powerful. Everything's blowing up and that, you know, that's part of it. Yeah. All right. Before we take a break, one thing I didn't dwell on was, you know, all the awards that you've won. You've won James Beard Awards, multiple. You've won three uh, times. Three times. <laughs> uh, outstanding wine person program. Um, uh. You've won uh, an award from the French government, a, a wine spectator, you know, stuff. Of all the awards, does anything mean anything to you today? I know then they did, but when you... Look, anytime you recognize it's, uh, it's flattering, it's, um, it's a validation of what you've been doing, um, validation from a community, whether it be peer community or outside, etc. So, yeah, it's a great feeling. Um, I don't, you know, I think it was Drew Nieperent who was getting a lot of press in the early days. He still gets a lot of press, but he said, you know, don't believe your press. And it resonated with me because I think 
people, once they start believing all the accolades and they get a big head over it, then you lose focus. And maybe it's an insecurity uh, on my on my part, but uh, I never feel like I've achieved anything yet. Keeps you going. So it keeps me keeps me striving to finally one day achieve something. But the so one you're validated, award, but you're a little uncomfortable uh, still never, and pushing. The forward. one award that really moved me greatly was the award from the French government, the uh, Credit Agricole, the Merit Agricole, for uh, contribution to French agriculture, of which wine right. plays a part. So that that was very. That very, was recently very, too, a couple of years ago. Yeah, a couple of years ago. That yeah. was that was a nice. Just award. explain what that was. That sort that was sort of an agricultural. Government. Well, the the government gives all kinds. of French like uh, <laughs> they give a lot of awards. They want excuses to hug. <laughs> no, there's um, well, the Légion d'honneur d'honneur is the most recognized. That is the ultimate award of recognition by the French government, and it's for all industries. You could be in the film industry. You could be in the wine. You could be. But all kinds of right. recognition. Um, the merit agricole means recognition for your contribution to the agricultural well-being of France. Right. And that's because of my history as a sommelier, uh, talking, selling French wine, importing French wine, talking about French wine, and so on. So getting close to the producers, the land, and all of that. So stuff. that was that was uh, meaningful. So that's that's the one. All right, we're talking to Daniel Jonas. We're going to take a quick break. Um, when we come back, Daniel has a lot of stuff going on, and I want to discuss that with him. So you're listening to The Grape Nation. We'll be right back. Bogart has made much progress over the past year since their grand opening. They are a growing community of professional freelancers, entrepreneurs, and startups. Their dedicated team guarantees you receive a productive and worry-free work environment. 100 Bogart is currently filling up their two-person to 12-person private offices. The spacious pop-up gallery, premier rooftop, and brand new full floor with terrace are available for your next event. Podcast rooms, conference rooms, and meeting spaces are also available for booking. 100 Bogart hosts events like art exhibitions, pop-up stores, product launches, and fashion shows. Heritage Radio Network is a proud member of the 100 Bogart community and often holds events in the building. Visit 100bogart.com to schedule a tour and learn more. All right, we're back. We're back on The Grape Nation, and we are talking to my guest, Daniel Jonas. And Daniel just laid a lot of uh, knowledge and recommendations on some great wines. I will post those on our social media. Now, Daniel's got a lot up his sleeve, and one of the reasons I asked him back is he has a very cool event coming up. It's called La Fête du Champagne. It's taking place in New York City, November 8th through the 10th. It's presented by Daniel and Peter Leem, um, champagne expert. So first thing, explain what La Fête du Champagne is, then explain why you did it, and then we'll talk about the elements of it. Well, La Fête du Champagne is really... Isn't that just, what I said? Yeah, well, <laughs> sort you know, of. I'm trying to discreetly correct your, your pronunciation. <laughs> 
Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> From you, I could take it. <laughs> I'm not rubbing it in your face. But, um, yeah, it, 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 the idea came out of uh, what I was saying earlier, my enthusiasm for champagne uh, and sort of mirroring what I saw in Burgundy years ago and the, the respect for the terroir and the enthusiasm and uh, the, how dynamic the growers were and, and so on. And, and, and the similarities in uh, the grape varieties and the expression and, 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 and the interest in the terroir. So I started, I called my friend Peter Liam and who is, I don't think there's any greater authority on champagne than Peter Liam. Uh, he just came out recently, very recently. We had him on. Oh, you had him on? Okay, great. To talk about his book, Champagne. Yeah, and he couldn't be here today. He was going to be here yeah, today. Yeah, we invited him. Where is he? Taipei? He's in Singapore, I think. Singapore? Yeah. yeah he's somewhere. He, he, he wouldn't get up early and Well, he wrote him. me. Well, it's five in the morning there, but he wrote me uh, earlier today and said say hello to everybody and apologized that he couldn't be here. Yep. Because he just left yesterday. He'd been on the plane for 24 hours. Right. So five years ago, I said, hey, Peter, let's get together and have lunch. And uh, I shared this idea with him that I'd like to do um, a celebration of champagne similar to what we do with La Polay, which we had already been doing for 15 years. And he said, yeah, he wanted to do, to do that also. And I said, but I can't, I don't want to do that uh, on my own because I know, I know something about champagne, but I don't know what you know about champagne. And I'd like to do, share this stage with you. And he, he thought about it and said, well, you know, and I don't have the team that you have and the knowledge of producing an event like that and uh, the relationships with, uh, I mean, my relationships, very fortunate to have with the chefs and the clientele and, and the sommelier community. So he said, yeah, I think this is, could be a really good partnership. Uh, and uh, that's what happened. So we did the first one. What year was that? 14, I think, 2014. New York. New York, and we did New York uh, again um, in in fifteen. Yep, and then six, and then we went to London last year. We wanted to take it on the road, and now we're back in New York this year in March, in November, November eighth to the tenth. I assume that you learn and it grows each year. Yeah, you learn, and uh, you certainly learn. And word gets out, and there you learn how many people love champagne. Right. I mean, the grand tasting is just yeah, they overwhelming. They don't even realize they and love it. And you also learn how enthusiastic the Champenois are to share. I mean, mm. we invite people and they say yes. You know, very rarely are we so turned let's, down. So let's talk about, you know, the fate, the elements and all of that. So I'll throw a bunch of things out and we'll take them apart. There's a grand tasting walk around where the makers are there, multiple producers. There's a fancy Saturday night dinner. There's seminars. There's uh, winemaker dinners, right? Right. We do several small so, events prior to the big day, which is the, the Saturday. Tell me the important things. Well, I mean, there are some things that are sold out, sold out very, right. very so quickly. Right, so that's why I want you to focus on um, But um, we, we always try to do, in addition to the grand tasting and the gala dinner, which is a big party and hundreds of bottles of champagne floating around. Which people, guests bring too, right? Right, right. right. They do for the gala dinner, just right. like the Palais. Um, but we do several smaller events. Uh, for example, a dinner with Jean-Baptiste Le Caillon from Rotor Champagne. And it's not going to be just uh, Cristal. 
we're going to do a range of champagnes, a Blanc de Blanc, Rosé, some Brut Vintage, um, and several vintages of Cristal, including the 2008, which is a recent, just released. So um, that's one of the dinners that's one. leading into the weekend. Yeah, you know, it's sold out, but sorry for mentioning okay, it. All right. But another one that's sold out, I have to tell you about, just because it's incredible. Pierre Peters, Rodolphe Peters, is bringing Magnums of Les Chétillons, which is his top cuvée from, the, from uh, Le Menil, uh, back, to, back to 1970, and the last Jeez. Magnums in his cellar. Jesus. That's it. There's no more. This will never be done again. Once in a lifetime experience. So if anything opens up, you know, get your name on the wait list. But there's a lunch that is really spectacular um, that we're going to be doing, and that's going to be at Racine. It's called the Déjeuner Champenois. Arnaud and Pascaline's place, yeah, one of yeah, the great yeah, yeah. wine bars in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be, that's something where there's still a few seats, okay. but it's going to be a fun, upbeat a uh, really exciting lunch with, um, with you know, producers. And the whole idea is to have the producers interact with, uh, with, the, with the guests. So there's some tickets available. Yeah, there's We'll some tell everybody there. where to go. I mean, we're only a few weeks out, so. Yeah, yeah, well, it's coming. So you can go to. What the, about the Grand Tasting? Well, the Grand Tasting, you know, it's a big room at Pier 60. There's still space. It's, okay. It's, it's, it's so you filling could buy, up. You could buy a ticket, and I've been there. You walk around the room, and the producers are there at their own tables, and you get to taste multiple selections. Yeah, there's that. still look, about you, 100 you, different wines. You won't get a better, you know, selection of tastings and all of that. Um, what else is there? Well, the gala dinner, and that's really the premier dinner. Daniel Boulou, Arnaud uh, Lallemand, three Michelin star restaurant. Michael White? From Champagne, Michael White. Right. And um, uh, Charles, Charles Nappett from uh, from London. Really good. Who's the guy from Champagne, the famous place? Arnaud Lallemand. Right. Great guy. Asinette, what's uh, the Bal- place? Asiette Champenoise. Right. That's it. And three Michelin star, really, he's one of these chefs like Danielle, who loves wine and is very respectful of the wine. And uh, she's a great chef and a bon vivant. Are there tickets available for the, uh, okay. Yeah, we still have some, we still have some space. Before we get ahead of ourselves, the best place for people to go to get information and to buy tickets is... Well, La Fête du Champagne L A F E T E D U Champagne dot com. Right. Um, and yeah. it'll, I've been on the site many times. It'll list the individual events. Obviously, it'll tell you what's sold out. It'll tell you um, the multitude of events and all of that. Um, and that is November 8th through the 10th, which you must be a little on edge because that's around the corner. Around the corner, just after I get back from Bordeaux. Okay. All right, so that's La Fête. Um, if you have an interest in champagne, you're a champagne lover, um, that's the beauty of Daniel John is he'll put in uh, a bunch of different rooms and a bunch of different days, a lot of opportunities to experience champagne like you've never uh, experienced before. Um, all right, the next thing that interested me and is timely, um, I wanted to bring you in for La Fête, is a thing that you've launched called Pressoir Wine, P-R-E-S-S-O-I-R. Correct. Um, wine, and... It's it Pressoir.wine. Dot dot wine. Yeah. And it looks to me like things are really kind of up and happening now, you know, in the last less than a year. So tell me about... Uh, it's an interesting concept. Tell me what you're doing there. Well, you know, it came out of... We do these events, uh, La Fête du Champagne, La Polay, 
once a year where I have a team who works year-round on these uh, setting really, everything up, getting setting producers. Everything up. Yeah, you know, it's a big, it's a locations, big job. Right. It's a big job, and the team's great. But I also felt that um, we don't want to get um, complacent with that. We 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 love wine, also. We don't want to just be producing and being robotic about it. So, it it was an idea that I had the the, the image of pressoir, which is the French word for grape press. Uh, was that if you take grapes and press them, the juice flows out and evolves into these myriad aromas and flavors that you find in wine. And so I thought that we could do something, take what we have, these extraordinary relationships with the growers, with the chefs, with the sommelier community, hundred over 100 sommeliers work these various events with us, and give a platform. So Pressoir is really a platform for us and other people to do communicate about wine. We do these sessions, which are... So talk about the elements. Well, the elements are we have sessions, which are 12 people coming to taste six or seven or eight wines. Thematically. Thematically. Tell me what you did last well, night. Well, last night we did uh, Northern Rhone with Matt Conway. We Who's invited a Northern Rhone aficionado yeah, sommelier. We, even, we, we invite uh, sommelier friends who are experts in a field to come in and talk about their area of expertise. So he came in and talked about Northern Rhone. And you opened what? Six, seven, five, oh, eight bottles? Oh, we had great bottles. wines. Right. Cherry Alamon from Cornell and Shah from Hermitage, and Clouseau Rock from Cote Roti, etc. And so Peter Liam's going to come in and do one on Champagne. So we invite our friends to come in, and I, I lead sessions also. Uh, so that's one thing. Another thing is small dinners. And the small dinners, as opposed to the giant dinners I do, we right. do with the, with the Polet, it was a way for me to, in a way, get back into service and back in touch with the clientele. Which, after 35 years, you selfish bastard. I've walked away from. You did it for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I did. It was something that I've always enjoyed doing, serving, communicating, talking. And during La Palais, during La Fête, I can't talk to anyone. Right, so big. And so this is an opportunity for me to get back into serving wine, pulling cork, serving, talking to people about wine. So now you got tastings, you got dinners. Yeah, we got a club. It, there's a club aspect to it. Explain what that well, is. Well, the club gets various benefits. They get... Um, they get um, uh, advance notice on some of the events, and they sell out quickly. They get uh, priority seating. They get a, gu- a sommelier to guide them around the tasting. They get offers, exclusive wine offers on wines for their sellers. So there are a number of uh, benefits to being a club member. And also being part of a club is kind of a fun thing. Right. You know, you meet people, it's social, and wine is a lifestyle experience today. And when you're picking the wines and you give people access to stuff that they're not always going to get. Yeah, it's fun. You know, it's a fun thing. Um, You also offer services like consulting. Exactly. If you have a client that needs help, collection, or wants to buy and all that, you'll do that too. Exactly. If people want to find out more about Pressoir Wine... Tell me where they should go. They go to www.pressoir.wine. P-R-E-S-S-O-I-R. Dot, dot wine. Not dot com. Nope, dot wine. So the... the we couldn't wow. get... We couldn't get the dot com. On we Pressoir. Could get, we could get that, well, dot that wine. Well, that works. And it, it makes perfect sense. So... All right. So La Fete de Champagne coming up November 8th through 10th. Go check out Pressoir Wine if you really want a... Uh, Camp counselor like uh, Daniel Jonas. We have Edouard Bourgeois also, right, who I, who's a major I, part a of the press work. Big, big, uh, great sommelier. All right, you got a couple other tricks up your sleeve. Let's talk about them. Next early spring, <laughs> you're doing La Paule, yeah. which is your wheelhouse uh, or the thing you started. That is when and where. 
That's going to be here in New York, Pier 60, uh, March 4th through the 9th. We have a huge program this year. It's taking up most of the week. That's and, Daniel's uh, you know, Burgundian That's the all about Burgundy. And, right. um, just yesterday, another bit of inside information. Uh, not, don't hold me to it, but it looks like we're going to do extend it by one more day on the front end and really do a celebration of Gamay, Beaujolais. Okay. Focus on Beaujolais. I'm loving that. Yeah. All right. When, and we're thinking of calling if it. People want to know more about that. How do they follow that? Because well, once you know, sh- you can follow all of this at Pressoir. Okay. So Pressoir is the best place. That's to the platform. Gamay thing. Yeah, it's for everything. We open the show with Beaujolais, so yeah. you're you're focusing attention towards that. So that's that's exciting. When? What's the window on that? Have you decided for oh, for the, the Gamay for the Beaujolais thing? Well. If we do it, we most likely will. It's going to be March 4th. Okay. So we're talking... That's a Monday. Early and then we, next year, spring. And then we'll follow that with the, uh, with the pole right pole after that. Okay. Um, and then yeah. the last thing, you mentioned it, not me. You're doing a Rhone thing. Oh, yeah. Tell, tell <laughs> me quickly about that. Well, the, as I said, the Rhone is really important to me. And uh, several years ago, a couple of the producers, uh, one in the South... Uh, Isabel Ferrando from saint Fair, who's uh, recently become a bit of a superstar. 2003 was her first vintage, but she's been hit after hit. And um, she said, oh, couldn't we do something like uh, La Polay? And ah. I said, well, you know. So she, she inspired and instigated. She, she did. That was about five or six years ago. And then uh, Brigitte Rock from Clouseau Rock and Cote Roti spoke to me a couple of years ago and said, oh, it would be great to do something. We'd love to do something in New York. And I said, well, you know, I'd love to do it. Let me think about it. It takes a little time. So um, she invited me to their, their celebration called La Table in Cote Roti. And it was there that they sort of uh, prematurely announced that they were going to celebrate in New York with me. And I was uh-huh. really kind of taken aback. Okay. I said, oh, I guess we really are doing okay. this. You were on so the line then. I kind of got uh, pushed into it, but in a very joyful way. That's good news. So we're doing that on February 2nd. Okay. Um, and at the end, I'll I'll tell people where they can follow you, too. And I know you post. post yeah, well, you know, they can find out about all this at Pressoir.wine. Pressoir is the best place. Because okay. each, each of these events will have their own website, but Pressoir.wine will have okay, everything. Okay, so that, that's, that's where you're going to find out about Daniel's stuff. All right. We're going to move on to a thing called the wine list, which Mm. you did the last time you were here. Let's buzz through this. But this is the special La Fête du Champagne, Champagne, uh, edition. So all answers must be champagne-related, okay? (laughs) All right. So the first question, and these are the same questions we ask everybody. What are you drinking now? What in the champagne world? What's on your office desk? You're at home. What are you trying? Just now. Right now? Champagne-wise. Raphael Beresh. Okay. So B-E-R-E-C-H-E, and quickly, why? Because I love the guy. Okay. So you <laughs> love the guy because you love the guy, you love a champagne. Well, you got to understand, I don't drink wine that's not of great quality, no matter what. That's and it doesn't have short. to be expensive. Right. It doesn't have to be expensive, but it has to be great. Right. And so I take it another dimension, and that is I'm fortunate I get to know the winemakers. 
So people who I like, I want to support them. I want to drink their wine also. And you mentioned Baresh earlier as one of those entry-level. Great guy. Not he's an entry-level wine, but he has an entry-level oh, yeah. champagne. For Fred Savard also, one of the greatest Savard. guys on the planet. Right, give me Daniel Jonas's favorite champagne and food pairing. Oh. You're not allowed to say oysters and champagne. Oh. Show rule. So give me the next one. Oysters and champagne. They can't say no, it. No, I had that the other night with uh, oysters and uh, we had uh, we had a. What uh, else goes great with champagne? We had some Celos uh, champagne. Oh, Everything. I you. mean, listen, I love. So there's a good answer. No, everything goes I mean, with cha- fried no, food. Absolutely not everything, but yeah, fried foods are good for a variety of reasons. Kind of that effervescence cuts through the richness or the gre- you know greasy of fried foods, but I'm more of a blanc de blanc. A drinker. I like the crispness, the freshness of uh, the Chardonnay, and from that region, I love. Um, you know, I mentioned I mentioned earlier. Um, um, who did I mention? Uh, the um, <laughs> producer. Yeah, the producer. I'm blanking out now. Um, Champagne. Well, Salon. Salon is one of my, you know. Well, that I didn't get to that question yet. Oh, okay. That may be your answer. So, so you got me drinking wine here, so I'm having these okay. little gaps. That's okay. Plus, you're going, you're eating pizza and you're going out to dinner too. Um, all right. Tell Rodolf me, Peters, Pierre Peters, Pierre Peters. Oh my God! And he's yeah. also going to be. He'll be there. He's yeah. doing one of the lunches. Exactly. That you said. All right. Tell me, favorite wine restaurant or bar? Let's do New York. With good attention towards, with best attention towards champagne selection service, don't leave any, You're not leaving anyone out. You're not incriminating anybody by you know. But you know, give it, me a couple of places that just do it right. Well, you know, whenever you you list somebody, you're forgetting somebody else. But certainly, uh, Maya Lino's doing a great job. Jenny Guzio is and, on top and, of the and, champagne at, game. At, at uh, you know, Mart at um, Mart the Martha Hotel and right. You know, you're getting uh, you're getting great. There's a great emphasis among sommeliers who are loving champagne right now. Give me one more. I think over at uh, Legacy, you brand know, new. Yeah, they're doing some great Robert stuff. Not, not Ryan Hardy. Yeah, not and and Arvid Rosengren, best Arvid. sommelier in the world. Right. And uh, you know, not just champagne, but across the board. Right. But they have enough champagne. All right. Those are good places. All right. Do you have? An all-time favorite champagne? One, two, if you can't put it to one, or there are a few things. And sometimes it's not the most expensive or the rare. It's an experiential thing, like when you got engaged or whatever. What can you think of as far as that champagne that's an all-timer to you? Well, at the last Fête de Champagne in uh, London, we had a Dom Ruinart 1964 that was another dimension. You know, I... When you say another dimension, what's there that makes well, another it dimension? Another? Meaning that it's, it's still fresh. Sometimes, and- well, it was still fresh, but it was a evolved, fresh yet still fresh, layered wine with a lot of complexity. It was a wine, and we think of champagne as champagne, but we have to remember that it's Starts a wine. Starts as a still wine, and when it becomes this complex and this nuance, it's what you find in an aged white Burgundy or an aged. It could have been a different color also, but it was so profound that it's so that's memorable. So 64, 64. Ruinard. And Now, what do you always, remember? Is it a Blanc de Blanc? Is it a blend? What, it was no, it, it was a blend, yeah. It was a blend, okay. And it was one of those champagnes where you're just saying, this is different. Right. This is that's intense. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. All right, last question. And we kind of answered this during the show, but let's just tap into it again. 
I hate to use the word cheap, but what's the best value champagne? The question that exists on this list is best wine around 15 to 20 bucks. Give me a red and a white. We, we threw that out for what's the best value champagne. Is it Barash? No, I think that, honestly, something that people can find fairly easily is the Louis Roeder Brut. Okay. And... That's just I, a I, great... I honestly, yeah. I mean, Jean-Baptiste Le Gaillon is making extraordinary champagne on all levels at all cuvées. And I think that his Brut Reserve is just great And for what the price. are we talking range? I'm not, you know, I don't really know retail prices, but is I it... think it's going to be in the 40 okay. to 50 dollars So that's a $50. great bottle at that middle, lower range yeah. and all of that. The Rotorer Brut. Yeah. Okay. All right. So those are Daniel's uh, special edition La Fête du Champagne. Uh, see the way I said Champagne, not Champagne. Cause Champagne. Daniel, I'm embarrassed not to say that. Uh, we'll post those on our social media. I'll tell you where. All right, Daniel, we got about five minutes left. Every week we taste a different wine on air for our weekly wine sip. This week... I asked Daniel if he'd bring a wine in, and he brought a 2017 Coteau de Lyonnais Les Traboules. Right. Les Traboules from Guillaume. Guillaume Cluzel. Guillaume Cluzel. Yeah. Um, all right. So tell me a little more about the wine, the grape, and the maker. All right. This is an appellation that's only a couple of hundred hectares. So, you know, you're only talking about four or five hundred acres. The whole appellation. Of, yeah, really small. Okay. Um, but it's outside of Lyon. It's west of Lyon, 100 kilometers or so. And uh, Guillaume Cluzel is from Cluzel Rock and Cote Roti. He expanded into this area and, because he wanted to make... First of all, it's very hard to find vineyard land in Cote Roti and, and afford it. Um, and he's a very dynamic young, young man who wants to make a name for himself. So he bought these vineyards, or, and it's from the Gamay grape. Uh, so it's very similar to Beaujolais in a lot of ways. Uh, there's some granite, and which you find is a soil component in, um, in, in Beaujolais. But... Um, What's this unique, what's fun about this cuvee, traboul, traboul comes from a word that you, you see in Lyon. Now, I spent a year in Lyon, right. and you can go visit you the Traboule. You your family there and yeah. live there. But you can visit the Traboule, and the Traboule is? is a real thing in Lyon, architectural design in Lyon, that comes from historically, hundreds of years ago, Lyon was a, a silk weaving community, was the main industry there. <laughs> and the silk weavers, the canoe, would uh, go from building to building. They would build these secret passage, passageways to get through the buildings down to the uh, Sone River. And those were called Traboul. And you could visit them now. It's like going through these secret passageways. Another interesting bit of trivia about that was during World War II, it was a way for people to get around town without being seen. <laughs> You know, with the so as an homage to that, he oh. named it Le Trouble. So yeah, okay. and and it's an absolutely delicious wine. Chill it down a little All bit. Right, so let's drink it. we're gonna evaluate it quickly. Let's give it a sniff, and then we'll throw it over the tongue. So color, beautiful, like a deep magenta, you know, purple, nice, beautiful color, good clarity, right? Very good. All right, this is where I gotta rely on you. Give me the nose descriptors. Well, there's a floral component. I get like uh, very floral violets and you know summer flowers, but red flowers, rose maybe. <coughs> Teeny bit of spice also, in there. It's a little spice, but you also get like an explosion of strawberry, red fruit, red berries for sure. Yeah. Okay. And maybe even some raspberry. And then on the palate, you just get. What? Give me mouthfeel first. Yeah. 
What's typically a mouthfeel on this? This is a nice well, medium mouthfeel, mouthfilling, not unctuous, but mouthfilling. This is a wine that you could drink by the bucketful. It's it's fresh. By fresh, I mean there's a lively acidity. It's very vibrant. It keeps your palate like salivating. Right. You just want to sip more. It's probably about 12, 12 and a half percent alcohol. So it's very drinkable, very light, but it still has some texture and presence on the palate. All right, so let's so, talk palate. Do does the palate replicate a lot of the nose or totally? There this wine is totally imbalanced. So you got those berries, it's raspberries. Absolutely delicious, and you could. We're drinking this out of a decent. You got to get some better glasses here, but Don't I'm going to tell you. Don't be such a snob, will you? I can tell you. Don't be that, such a. I had no, Aldo so many no, schleps altos on the subway in a well, bed. What I'm going to say is not snobby because these are. I was going to say these are decent glasses, but this wine you could drink out of a tumbler okay. and enjoy it. So this is. Yeah, this, you're doing okay with this. Do glass. you have a Bare, ballpark on retail? Twenty-two dollars. Oh, great price point. Yeah. So this is all right. Before we talk about. Whether we like it or not, just tell me what the good pairings with this wine is. Classic. Anything. Anything. No, you know, well, the, then the easier no, no, question no, no, is, no. what would no, you I'm eat? Just asparagus? Or? No, 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 no. No, it's not just with anything. To What's me, the This the is key. like the perfect sausage wine. Okay. Sauce, grilled sausages. Grilled sausages. Hamburgers. Uh, a roast chicken. Chicken, juicy red meat burger. Totally. Sausages. I mean, you could grill a salmon. Now, salmon, I like something a little bit more elegant. Maybe but a, this will a go burgundy, well with a beautiful volney, but this, you know, All right. be happy. Good recommendation. So do we like this wine or do we love this wine? Love it. We love it for love the price, it. value, the grape, and everything. So that's the 2017 Coteau de Lignes Les Trabouls from Guillaume Clouzel. Guillaume? Guillaume Clouzel. All right. Take it easy. Yeah, you're getting better. All right. All right. Daniel, we're wrapping the show up. We've done an hour, actually a little more. Um, if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Follow us on Facebook at our page, The Grape Nation. Follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby and the hashtag The Grape Nation on Twitter at BenRuby. Also, subscribe to The Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. I will post Daniel's wine list answers. Um, the weekly wine sip that we just tasted and a bunch of the other wines that he mentioned during the show um, on our social media sites, mostly Instagram and Facebook. Um, Daniel, we pretty much talked about where we can get more information, Presswar.wine, yeah. um, Lafayette du Champagne. And if we want to follow you, Daniel, and see you riding up and down hills on a bicycle, <laughs> Where do we follow you? My Instagram's best, at Daniel Jonas. Okay, and that's J-O-H-N-N-E-S. All right, one last thing. Heritage Radio and the Grape Nation will be in Norwalk, Connecticut this Friday during their Crush Week of Beer, Wine, and Spirits-themed events for an event called uh, Crush at Norwalk Now. Um, join me for an intimate wine dinner at the Wine Room at Washington Prime this Friday, 1019 at 6 p.m., if you want more information, get tickets, go to norwalknow.org for more information. That's it for us. Thank you to our guest, Daniel Johns, Jonas, who has a lot thank to you. talk about. Thank you to our engineer, Jeet, and thank you to everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation.
for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.